0: Today, anybody want to travel through time? Nobody? We don't have any adventurers out there? We're going to travel through time today, just a little bit. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 17 and 18. Praise the Lord. And we're going to talk about going from glory to glory. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 reads, Now the the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just praise and thank you, Father, for the opportunity to, to um, study your word. And we just praise and thank you, Father, that it would just illuminate our minds, our hearts, our spirits, Father. Let it do its perfect work in us today, Lord. And we just praise you, and thank you, Father, for the transformation process that's going to do in each one of us, Lord. Let none of us, Father, go out the same way we came in. If there's health problems, if there's emotional problems, if there's monetary problems, whatever it may be, Lord, we just praise you, Father, that as we would study your word, that it would do its perfect work in us. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, for this. And to give you the thanks, Father, for that transitional process, even as we're going into a celebration of the Lord's sacrifice and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So it says here, as we see, that we all, with open face, amen, are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And it says that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And that word unveiled... Um, in the original uh, Greek language that this is written in, it means to be turned inside out so that the inward is exposed. Now I don't know if any of you have seen those masks. Pam's mom she collects masks, or if you've ever seen those masks like at a, um, a, a at a play or something like that, and you have the, the mask and somebody put it on their face. If you were to look at one of those fa- those masks, or if you were to imagine that you could peel off your face. A little gross, but peel off your face and turn it inside out. Basically, this is how the Lord is saying that he wants each one of us to examine ourselves. Because we spend too, too much time looking at the outward. I need to lose weight, or I'm not tall enough, or I'm, I'm too tall, or I'm lanky, or you know, my clothes are too wrinkly, or all these different outward things that we examine and use to critique ourselves, but basically he's saying that our concern should be more about the inward nature of who we are, which is what we really are in actuality, amen? So when we're looking at ourselves as it's an open face, he's saying instead of looking at all this outward stuff, instead of looking at all the things that you could critique yourself by, instead, allow yourself to turn your, that observation process inward to see what you're truly made of and to see the dynamic thing that Jesus Christ is doing in your life on a daily basis. Now, as you were turning yourself inside out and looking at that inward man, if you were truly to see yourself... It would be in a sense that you can see the glory of God that is residing inside of you. Amen? So you're not the filthy rags that the world might say you are. You might, you're not the ineffectual, worthless, stupid, inadequate, messy, sloppy, lazy bum that the world has told you. Instead, he says that you should be able to see that inward man, which is the true essence of who you are, going through this metamorphosis process. Amen? And actually, that's what it talks about with the word change. The word change in the underlying Greek means metamorphose. In other words, transform. So if you were to examine that according to something that you're familiar with, it's almost as if you would look at yourself like a caterpillar. First, you may have a lot of legs and look kind of creepy and you slid around, but then it goes into that cocoon state. And the cocoon itself is actually very ugly and most people wouldn't want to pick it up. But once that thing comes out, wow, butterfly, beautiful colors, wings sprouting out, ready to go out and explore the world. And it's the same thing with you and I. We're going through a transformation process. We might be ugly now. We may not be as pretty as we want to be. We may not be able to travel the way that we want to. But God has taken us through a transition, amen, from glory to glory. And he's going to fulfill that work that he started in in you and I. So instead of us looking at ourselves as filthy rags, we might want to look at ourselves and say, Hey, I might not be the blood butterfly right now, but I'm in transition. I'm going to get there. One day, I'm going to have these beautiful wings. Amen? Am I going to be a monarch butterfly? Am I going to have orange in my wings? It doesn't matter. The fact is, at some point, you go through the process, and you're this beautiful thing that's ready to go out there and explore the world. Amen? Now that word glass there also is talking about this process. It's talking about to mirror oneself, to see reflected, to gaze at with wide open eyes. Amen? Wide open eyes. So instead of you looking at yourself squinting because you don't want to see the truth... Or instead of yourself, looking at yourself with squinted eyes or maybe det- diverting your attention to the side because you don't want to see the reality of who you are, God is saying instead that, no, I want you to look at this glory that is emanating inside of you, and instead of being appalled up at it, shocked by it, scared of it, instead, I want you to gaze at it with wide open eyes, amen? And these eyes that are open, is, is you're looking at something as if it's remarkable. So in other words, you're supposed to be astounded, not shocked, not appalled, not ashamed, but you're to look at the essence of who you are internally and say, wow, this is a remarkable thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, one thing about that is that the Israelites saw the glory of God as in a cloud. If you look at the Old Testament, they went in their travels, and every time the presence of the Lord came, Moses, for instance, was the only one that wanted to look at God face to face. Everybody else trembled. They saw the cloud. They were filled with a sense of dread. And they trembled at the thundering of his voice at them. Instead, God is saying, we're, taking, we're going into a process where, no, I don't want you to be afraid of it. I want you to look at this wide open and like, wow. Look at this remarkable transformation process that God is doing in us. Amen? How many of us on a daily basis have looked at ourselves and said, wow. This is remarkable. Wow, this is outstanding. Wow, I mean, they've talked about the seven wonders of the world. Here's the eighth as I look in the mirror. Amen? (laughs) All right, so as I said earlier, we're going to go back in time a little bit because it's hard for us to see the transformation that God has done in us until we realize where we come from. Amen? All right, so we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see the nature of the beast. Where did we come from with our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam? Amen? Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Amen? So this is going back to the past, and here we see the nature of the beast. Amen? And what I mean by the nature of the beast is that we see here that the serpent was more subtle than any creature in God's creation. Amen? Any beast in the field, and we can go further and say anything in the air, anything in the sea. The serpent was the most subtle being that was available at that time. Now, that word subtle in the underlying Hebrew means to be crafty or cunning, but in a bad sense. Amen? So he was crafty, he was cunning. In other words, he was sharp of wit, he was very intelligent, but it was in a bad way. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, unfortunately, we go down here a little further and we say, see that after he went through this um, conversation with Eve and finally beguiled her to the point that she partook of the forbidden fruit and then Adam did the same thing all of a sudden it says down in verse 7 that the eyes of both of them were open and then they knew that they were naked now a lot of times we look at this and say okay this is the point in which mankind fell from the glory of God amen and the word tells us in Romans three twenty-three that all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. So literally, that was a true thing. At that moment, when they committed that sin, that glory covering that was on top of them, amen, was literally ripped off, and now that they saw that they were naked. But that word naked goes more into the gl- glory of God being ripped off. It goes into more than them, them being flesh that had no clothing on. It also means, unfortunately, in the un- underlying Hebrew, that they were also cunning, but at a Bad sense. Amen? So there's a transformation. Not only did they um, come short of the glory of God, but now they took on the same nature as the serpent. Whew. And now we know what our problems are. Amen? So there's a transformation. There was a metamorphosis, but it was a metamorphosis from having the glory of God and being pure and to stand before the, 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 the presence of God, to now taking on the cunning nature of the enemy. And I'm not here to say that we were all Satanized, we were full of demons at that time, but what I am saying is that we took on the attributes of the enemy that day. Amen? And that's why we see from generation to generation to generation, more and more wickedness, more and more corrupt things, more and more people that are full of guile, but for the wrong reason, as opposed to people using the the characteristics that God gave us to do positive, profitable, and fruitful things for his kingdom. Amen? So there was an exchange that day. So once again, not only did the glory cover of God get lifted off of Adam and Eve on that day, but they also took on the ungodly nature of the enemy. And you have to realize that outside of Christ, each one of us is filthy, we're naked, we're exposed and we're becoming more and more corrupt with every generation. It doesn't matter how pure you think you are in your own sight. It doesn't matter how I never do this wrong, I never do that wrong. Even the most quiet people, if you really look at it, some of them are actually have the, most, the worst attitudes when you, they finally get the point, to the point where they speak their minds. Amen? So just because you're quiet and calm, look like you're calm, cool, and collected, doesn't mean that you're poly pure, brain. Boy, that came from a cartoon. Amen? Instead, somebody that's quiet, those are some of the people that are actually more likely to explode in a fit of rage than somebody that speaks their mind every time something offends them, amen? See, the only difference is that they're a cauldron waiting to explode. The other person is just like, as soon as it hits, I counterattack, amen? So the, the reality is that neither one of them is good. And outside of the glory of God, outside of walking in conjunction with the Spirit of God and His Word, all of us are filthy naked to the attacks of the enemy, exposed to the wicked devices of the enemy, and we're becoming more and more corrupt with every generation. Now, Psalms 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So this is what God is basically saying about us. Amen. And you might say to yourself that, hey, I don't say there's no God. I worship God. As a matter of fact, before salvation, I may not have acknowledged God on a daily basis. Maybe I didn't go to church, but I was a good person and I believed in God. But He says here that if you say in your heart there is no God, then that's a foolish thing. Amen. And the reality is that if you're not serving him on a daily basis and have the mindset that I'm going out to fulfill his will and to please him in my actions, in a certain sense, you're saying there is no God because you're not subjecting your life to him. Amen? So we can try to pretty up, but the thing is, he says here that basically people are going out doing corrupt and abominable works. Amen? That word abominable means morally detestable. Amen? Things that are loathed by God. So God hates the types of things that he's saying. Once again, we see here it says that everybody has gone aside. They are all together. Not some of us, not a few of us, not those of us that go out and do criminal activity, but it says they are all together become filthy or morally corrupt before the sight of God. So that means that we needed a, a remedy. It goes further, Job chapter 15, verses 14 to 16, it says, what is man That he should be clean. And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Now, last time I checked, all of us here were born of a woman. I mean, a man was evolved too, but we came out the womb of a woman. It goes to verse 16, says, How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? Amen. So, that is the condition of all of us outside of serving Jesus Christ. It says that we're all abominable. We are filthy, and going further, we drink iniquity or sin like water. And that word drinketh means to imbibe, in other words, to get drunk. Man, without subjecting himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we get drunk on sin. As, easily, as easy as you could pick up a glass of water, drink it, room temperature, ice in it, whichever way is your preference, as quickly as you could pick that up and drink that, that's how quick each one of us can sin. Amen? Amen? And we could, once again, we could try to pretty it up and say, oh, I'm more righteous than you all. But the fact is, without the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God governing us, this is how we are. Amen? We get drunk on sin. We stumble around. We slur our words. Pass the bottle, baby, <laughs> as it relates to sin. Um, Isaiah 64, 6 goes a little further. It says, but we are all as, uncle- as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So no matter how pure you believe you are, once again, without Jesus Christ, we are still corrupt in the sight of God. And without salvation, we are led astray to sin. Just as easy as somebody could drink a glass of water. It says here that, like the wind, amen, every wind that comes our way, from the northeast, it doesn't matter whether it's hurricane, gust levels, or it's a slight breeze, it says here that just the wind of life, the circumstances that surround us, take us away. So in other words, the same way if you were outside in your backyard and it was a windy day and you would see a leaf on the ground, and all of a sudden it would get snatched up and just blown to the next yard or way up in the sky, you don't know where it ends up. The same way, sin and iniquity has the same kind of consequences and effects on the life of us as human beings. And that was the abominable, filthy condition of each one of us you know, without Jesus Christ. Another thing we had a problem with is that since the fall of our great patriarchs, we were fearful not only of a righteous God, but we were also fearful of a dreadful enemy that just wants to sift us as weak he wants to attack us, he wants to entangle us, he wants to entice us, he wants to distract us. All these different negative things he tries to hurl our way, and unfortunately, we were subject to all these things. Now, um, in, in Psalm 143, I like one of the things that David said about his actual enemies. And even though he said about his actual enemies, there's a parallel between physical enemies and what our enemy Satan has done to us as well. So one, in Psalm 143, it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into thy judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as though those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, My heart within me is desolate. Amen. So, as David was being chased around by his natural enemy, Saul, and the people that he dispatched to capture or kill David, this is the condition of his heart at one point. He says, My spirit is overwhelmed within me, and my heart is desolate, desolate of hope. Am I going to get out of the situation? He said that the enemy has persecuted his soul all the way down to the ground and basically made him dwell in darkness. And it's the same thing that the enemy has done to each one of us, amen? We've all been backed into a corner. We all came to a point in our lives, if we weren't born into a Christian home where all we've ever known is Jesus Christ, each one of us probably came to a place where we felt a darkness, a despondency in our soul that made us cry out for the salvation of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen? Our hearts may have been overwhelmed, our minds overwhelmed, and we may have had a feeling of desolation in our heart because of some kind of trauma, some kind of loss in our lives that made us say, Hey, I don't have any resolution to my problem here. I need Jesus Christ. Amen? So, this is the condition of each one of us before Him that the enemy, a dreadful enemy, would attack us at every end, and there was nothing that we could do about it. But I like the thing that even despite all of this, even despite the fall of mankind, I like to see the fact that, going back to our text scripture, God said that each one of us is truly remarkable. Amen? Each one of us is, is uniquely formed and fashioned. Psalm 8, 3 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man that thou visiteth him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, thou hast put all things under his feet. Praise the Lord. So look at that. All the things that God had ordained in the universe the moon, the stars, the planet earth galactic clusters and comets and all these different things out there in the universe that God made. Amen? And if you look at the book of Genesis in the beginning, it says that God thought about these things. He spoke, let there be, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will move in conjunction with that word, and those things were created. Amen? So God thought, spoke, bam, it manifested because of the power of that triune God. Amen? But one of the angels came to God on a given day, and he asked this question. He said, Lord, as I considered all the things that you created out here, a blue marble-shaped planet, a yellow sun that navigates around it, this entire solar system, and then Milky Way galaxy, and all these things are out here, God. You know, the angel looked at him and said, with each one of these things you thought and you spoke and it was, but then all of a sudden, there's this little creature here, and your mind is full of it. Before you're creating it, you're taking the time to say, hmm, like that thinker statue. (laughs) Amen? Hmm. That word mindful means to be the most noteworthy, something to be remembered, to mark something so as to be recognized. So see, God didn't just think about us, but he pondered our creation. The human body is just... It's just uncanny, it's incredible, it's remarkable. Just to think that me, I'm about 6'2", and even though I'm 6'2", and I just take up this little amount of space, there's miles of veins within my body. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, I drive on the highway, and you know, as I'm going down 295, I see, okay, exit number 29 is 4 miles away. And as you drive that distance of four miles, think about the fact that that same distance in veins is inside of your body. It doesn't make sense. I mean, how could he do that? But The reason he was able to do it is because he was so mindful of our creation that somehow he was able to do these remarkable things when he constructed us. Take into consideration all the different things that go on you know the way your organs work, your liver, your kidneys, your heart, your brain, all these different things and just the the capabilities that they have to sustain your body and it 's just so remarkable the things that God did in you and I it's because he was mindful of us amen like i said he didn't just throw us together randomly you know he didn't just think man boom speaking this was no god said i'm going to ponder this thing i'm going to think about it and then i'm going to mark this thing in all of creation as something unique amen i'm not just going to manufacture it but i'm going to compose and construct this thing in such a way that everything else in existence the angels the stars the lions the tigers the bears oh my all those different things could look at it and say wow Look at that thing. God did something special in that one. Amen? So he marked us as something that was unique in all creation. And I truly believe that it's during this process, as God thought his mind was full of us thinking about us, that it's in that, that, that process of thinking that he said, not only am I going to create this new being, but I'm going to envision all the characteristics, not only in terms of how the organs and everything will work and how they would be constructed, but also I'm going to take in consideration the characteristics. I'm going to give them a will so that they can reason. I'm going to give them emotions so they can relate to different things and have a personality, amen, that lets them, you know, laugh at things, be angry at things, unfortunately, fear things, unfortunately. I mean, there's good and bad, but the fact is he gave us emotions that we could process, amen, and I'm going to also give them dominion power out of everything that I created here. And here's the thing. you got things like the blue whale that weighs tons. But yet God says, little earth suit, you're in charge of that thing. Go boss it around. You have dominion over everything on this planet. Even though you may not be the largest of creature, you're the one that I've given dominion power to. Amen? So sorry, Peter, but the dolphins aren't as great as I. Sorry, Peter, but the seals and the whales and all these different things just aren't as great as you and I, and unfortunately, I know it's not politically correct, but they're just not as important. I love the lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my. But the fact is, they're lower on the totem pole than you and I. And you ain't got to like it, Peter. That's the way it is because that's the way God defined it. Now, does that mean we need to go out and abuse animals? No. We need to appreciate animals. We need to protect animals. And if you see somebody abusing animals and, and doing things wrong, yes, you need to stop them. But, once, but that doesn't change the fact that we're still at a level above each one of them. Amen? Because God says here that we're more remarkable and we're marked as more remarkable than anything that is in creation. All right, so God has done that in us. We were made to walk in dominion power over God's creations. So instead of being subject to them... Amen? We're at a level above, and regardless of how we were formed in fashion, it doesn't matter, once again, whether you're black, white, Puerto Rican. It doesn't matter whether you're tall, short, lanky, skinny, freckled, red-headed, or whatever. It doesn't matter how you're formed in fashion. Each one of us were born with dominion power. As we see in that verse of Scripture, it says, we were crowned in our original creation with glory and honor. Amen? Separated from everything else in existence and marked for greatness. But then came the fall, and we messed it all up. But thank God that Jesus Christ, he sacrificed himself for you and I, and we're going to start seeing exactly how that returns us back to our former glory. Looking back at our creation once again, though, it says, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Amen? So once again, God spoke everything the creation. You know, we need a sun to warm this planet. So let there be light. And it was. We need something to put this man on. Let there be a dirt ball. Let there be Ocean surrounding, let there be an atmospheric layer and a magnetic field and all these different elements. God, he thought, he spoke, and it was. But then all of a sudden, even as the angels were amazed, it says that we, unlike anything else, it says we are his workmanship, create and create Jesus. See, he spoke, and it was in all the situations, but when he came to man, it says that we are his workmanship. Amen. There was more of a labor to that. There was more of a process to that. He formed us out of the dust of the earth, out of his hands. He didn't just speak us randomly, but it says that he reached down into the dust of the earth, and he manufactured us uniquely. Amen? So praise God that as he did that, one of the things I liked about that is that it says in Genesis that he reached down to the the dust of the earth, and he formed a man. And when he first formed the, 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 the body there, it was just laying there dormant, idle. Unliving, like a mannequin. Amen. Like a little Pinocchio. But then it says, all of a sudden, God breathed it into him. And see, I like that word "breathe it" because the underlying Hebrew tells us that He didn't just come alive, Adam. No, it says that He breathed it. That word "breathe it" means to breathe with a passion. In other words, God didn't just say, "Form a fashion, a man, get up." No, God formed a fashion of man. Then He went. So he had a passionate breathing behind it. And once he breathed it, that's when the blood started to circulate in the veins, the, the, the heart started going, all those different things started going into place. And God turned that, that, that dust suit, that mannequin, into a living being that was created in his likeness. So, that everything that he created, God went through a unique manufacturing process with you and I, and he personally and passionately breathed it life into you and I amen and along with that came all those things and here's the thing that's great about it amen God being an omnipresent omniscient or all-knowing and all-powerful being when he did that he also knew that one day in that mind that that little dust suit I just made is going to betray me amen but yet even though he knew it he created us anyway and here's a remarkable thing once he had created us, once we betrayed him, despised him, and then did all these different things that led Jesus Christ to the cross, he had a state of mind that despite the fact you did all these things, I'm going to actually take a step back. Despite the fact that we sinned and did all these different things, he said, I love you so much that even though I'm an eternal being that can never die, now I'm going to give you a resolution to your own sin and your shortcoming. I'm going to package myself, the one that can never die, into a little dust suit Come up and live a sinless life and die for each one of you, Amen. So just think about that. Somebody that can never die. Now positions himself so that he could die. So how can we walk around on a daily basis? Oh, what was me? I'll never amount to anything. People tell me I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm scrawny. I'll never do this. You never amount to anything. All these different negative things that the world or we ourselves have told ourselves, Amen. And we walk around with our shoulders droop, and we have the mindset that I'll never amount to anything as the world or people have told us. And yet, God saw fit that he would go through a process that he would not only manufacture mankind, and we manufacture Adam, he saw each one of us. Amen? And he loved us enough not only to make us, but once we betrayed him, to send himself into that same lowly condition to die for us. Amen? So how can we think of ourselves as anything less than remarkable? Amen? See, it don't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what circumstances say. We're all wonderfully and fearfully made, amen? So fearful in terms of respectful fear that the angels themselves came. up. what is man that you're mindful of him? And then even the son of man that you're visiting him. You give him a daily visit. You ain't coming by the garden in the cool today day to visit the bear. You're not going there over to the beach to see the whale. So why is this Adam thing always getting his special attention? Who is he? That you're so mindful of him, thinking about him all the time, sitting there after your time with him, sitting there thinking about the next day. I mean, the the angels come up trying to get God's attention. Hey, God, hey, God, sorry. I'm busy thinking about visiting Adam tomorrow. So the angels, you know, they're probably like, he did something. (laughs) (laughs) He did something. He just dissed us, threw us to the side, and he got his mind off of that man thing. Amen. Maybe it's modernizing it a little bit, but. <laughs> but, but God loved us enough once again that not only did he create you and I through our patriarch Adam, but once he created him, he actually knew that he had planted a seed within him that was going to generate millions, well, actually billions and billions and billions of people through the generations that will lead up to old stupid Brian and Julian and Pam and Dave and let's go on and on, lead to all y'all messy people and me, messy person. He knew that. And yet he still chose to do that. And then, as we screwed up like he knew we would, he said, "Okay, here and now, I got to do what I knew I had to do. <laughs> Compress myself into a flesh suit, walk the earth with people despising me, spitting on me, call me an illegitimate son. That's a nice way of putting it, Amen. Because you know what the word says. Go through all that mess, and then when he's on the cross, can't even get the peace of quiet to die in peace. You, a king, come off the cross." I thought you were such a healer, such a miracle man. Come down off the cross. You know how people are when you're down. So he's there up on the cross, and they're still cursing him, mocking him. Come on, dude. Call out some angels. Pull yourself off the cross. You're such a miracle worker. Come on down. And yet he had to have a state of mind to ignore the taunts and say, you know what? Even despite the fact you're mocking me right now, Call me a heretic, cursing me, call me a phony, I loved you enough that when I was in that process of compressing myself into a flesh suit to walk this earth and be ridiculed, I still loved you even before the moment that I knew you were going to be here mocking me as I'm standing here on your behalf. So Jesus chose to do that. And that's how remarkable the love of God is for each one of us, that we are his workmanship. See, we weren't junk. I like the poster where it says that God didn't create junk. It shows the little kid. It's the same thing with you and I. We are not junk. God said, I chose to work out your destiny. I chose to manufacture you. I chose to give you all these characteristics and qualities. Amen? I chose to put all these things in you. And we see here that it says, that it is not of works lest any man can boast. Nobody gets the credit for who you are and what God's potential is in you and what you're called to be. Nobody. Amen? So nobody's going to get to boast. "Ah, I made you. No, you didn't make a thing. God might have blessed you to be used to help get me to my destiny, but God didn't need you for my destiny. So don't brag on yourself and what you did for me. You need to brag that you could be blessed with the honor. Wow, God blessed me to be a part of that testimony. That's about all you could could boast on. Amen? So not of works lest any man should boast, because we are his workmanship. And here's the thing. Created in who? Christ Jesus. You were not created in that dysfunctional situation with the deadbeat dad that spawned you and never had anything to do with you. You're not created in that situation where maybe you're the product of rape and your your mother wanted to abort you and didn't, and yet you're here now and everybody's talking about you're the kid that shouldn't have been here. You're not created in those things. You're created in Christ Jesus. Amen? For what? It says you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Amen? See, the world might have told you that you'll never amount to anything, you'll never do anything good. You're stupid, you're inadequate, you're worthless. And that's your destiny. So you might as well suck it up, get used to it, and stop your whining. That's going to be the end of your story. No. God says here that I don't care what the world says, you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So there is a destiny. There's a future. There's a bright horizon ahead for your life. There's a rainbow at the end of your cloud. But you got to trust God for it. Which and here says here, what God has before ordained that we should walk in Him. Before you're even born, He ordained where you're going to go. So who is more powerful? As they say, you are short in the box of God, right? So who's so powerful that God visualizing your workmanship, manufacturing you, creating you for good works, and then before you can even get to the good works before ordained that you're going to walk in them, who's going to prevent you from getting to that? Amen? Praise the Lord. So God has spoken. He spoke everything to existence. But for us, he loves us enough to not only ponder and create us in a special manner, but he became flesh, stripped himself of his immortality, died for us, and then we're going to go a little bit further. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 40. 1 Corinthians 15.40 says, There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now I like this, first of all, it says that there's different glories in the celestial bodies. And it's comparing it to the glory that's within each us, each one of us. As you're aware, if you've ever studied science, there's different types of suns, amen? And even though we see our sun 93 million miles away, and you look up to the sky, and you try to look at it too long, and you not only could hurt yourself and, and blind yourself for a moment, but you keep staring, you actually burn your retinas out. That's how powerful that sun is. But the funny thing is, as, as big and powerful as that sun appears to be, and even despite the fact that you could fit a million earths in it, It's an average star. It's not that great. If you look at all of creation, it's only an average star. There's red giants. There's there's all these different stars that are way bigger than our sun. So what is shown here is that there's different sizes, there's different glories, and one star different from another star in glory. But what we see here, though, is that even though they differ in glory, they still got glory. Amen? So let's look at ourselves. We may differ in sizes, we may differ in temperament and purpose, but even though we differ, we still have our own type of glory. So in other words, don't compare yourself to somebody else to say, I'm not glorious, because look at them in comparison to me. Let's say I'm looking at Donald Trump, who's multi-billionaire, probably a billionaire, and got all these businesses and stuff like that. If I were to look at things wrong, I'd say, oh, he's more glorious than I. Because everywhere he goes, Trump this and Trump that. Hey, Mr. Trump, can I do this or that? I walk in the same hotel, they're like, you can grab your bags and <laughs> carry them up themselves. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get one of them Trump tips. Amen? So his glory to the world seems to be greater than mine, but if we compare the glory that God sees in each one of us, it may differ, but we still have our own sense of glory. Amen? We all radiate, in other words. And it says that there is a resurrection of the dead process that you go through. And there's a going down in the natural body and there's an elevation in the spiritual body. And we see that in the original process, it says that the first Adam was a living soul. Amen? And it says the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. That word quickening means to be basically supernaturally empowered, to be sparked to receive supernatural dynamic energy from on high. It's almost like a spiritual lightning bolt hits you, and one second you were dead, and the next thing, God puts the spiritual jumper cables on you, and whoa, you know, and you were quickened. You were brought to life. So even though in Adam we were physical beings that had the spark of life, we still didn't have the spark of eternal life. So the first process, it wasn't good. Matter of fact, if you look at Adam, Adam walked with God, He talked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, but the relationship was totally external. God was outside his body, so God could visit him. Thank God for the greater process through Jesus Christ, the last Adam who was made a quickening spirit. See, not only did he resurrect from the dead, but he says, Also, I'm now giving to you who accept me as Lord and Savior that quickening power that not only you brought back from spiritual death, but now, whereas Adam had an external relationship where God was outside of him, you had the spirit of God inside of you. Amen? So you were quickened. You were brought to life. You were supernaturally empowered, and you are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you have the Spirit of God inside of you, so you have an even greater relationship than Adam ever had. Amen? Praise God. So our relationship is so much more powerful, so much more greater. And that's why, getting back to our text scripture, I talked about taking that mask, turning it inside out, and looking in. There's so much within us. Amen? So much potential, so much greatness, that spiritual power power of God resonate inside of us. But he wants us to turn our eyes wide open, look inside and say, wow, look at all the things he's done within me since the time I accepted him as Lord and Savior. Amen? Because there's a quickening process. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I talked about the last Adam. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. He's a quickening spirit. He is one who not only had the power to bring himself up from the dead and extend to the right hand of the Father, but He says, I also have enough power, Amen, that I could bring more people with me. Even the, the, the power of his death just shook the place, amen. The, the, the veil, of the temple ripped from top to bottom, that thing was thick. It was about two feet thick. Ripped from top to bottom. There was an earthquake in the ground that made a centurion was there. It's like Whoa, truly, this was the Son of God, as he was astounded with the earthquake. And then go even further, it says that the ground opened up, and the dead that were asleep in God, the righteous people that died, came up out of the ground. You're talking thriller. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> you think with was <laughs> Came up out of the ground. Okay, Michael Jackson wasn't there. But they came up out of the ground, and here's the thing that made you know it was a miracle. Now, if they just came up out of the ground and they went to the nearest town and they went to a town where they didn't come from, it wouldn't be a miracle. I mean, it wouldn't be a full, the fullness of the miracle wouldn't be received. It would be a miracle that they came back to life, but it wouldn't been astounding or anything to note because you go back to a town where nobody knows you, you don't go to Cheers where everybody knows your name. What's the big deal? But when you get up out of the ground and you go into town and all of a sudden, Susie's at the grocery store at the market back in that time, and all of a sudden, dead Uncle Johnny come walking by. Hey, Susan, now that's a miracle, because Susan was there at the funeral weeping for Uncle Johnny. Amen? So this is what happened from the power of Jesus Christ, not, just, not the resurrection. That was the power associated with the death. So when this talks about him becoming a quickening spirit and bringing many with him, whew, what's going to stop that? He's a ground shaker. He's a death breaker. Amen? From the power of just his death, let alone now the resurrection process. So we say, see here that any man is in Christ. If you accept that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it says that you are a new creature. In other words, you've been newly manufactured. You've been regenerated. The old filthy dirt bag that we talked about before, that's abominable, that drinks sin like water, that is now Cast off, discard it, the party's over for that. And now you have a newness in Christ. He says, not only is it something where you can say, I made a prayer and I feel better. No, according to the word of God, it says, no, you are a new creature. Take the word literal. You are new. All that old stuff is gone. Amen? The fornication is gone. The drinking is gone. The drug addiction is gone. The abortions are gone. All those different things you did. The cheating on your taxes. I mean, well, the IRS might come after you, so... We had to pray about that one. But all that negative stuff you did before salvation has gone, and now you have a new spiritual slate where you're no longer identified with those things anymore, and now you have the glory of Christ emanating on you again, and you are housing the spirit of the Holy Ghost inside of you, amen? So you are a new creature. See, there's been an argument between the church and the secular world, arguing about evolution. No, evolution is false. Evolution is false. I'm here to tell you today that evolution is true. Amen? Not from man coming from an ape, but there's an evolution when you accept Jesus Christ that you're transformed from filthy rags over to the righteousness of Christ. Amen? So there's an evolution, amen, in the spirit. Hallelujah. So we, are going, we have gone through that, and the unredeemed sinner that you were before Christ Jesus is now abolished, and now you've come to the place where you accept yourself in the fullness of Christ and see yourself with unveiled eyes. We talked about that earlier, unveiled eyes. Not just open your eyes from the squint to full open, but wide open. I want to really see myself as I am. I want to see myself as I am formed in fashion. Ephesians 4.20 says, But you have not so learned Christ." And so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. Hallelujah. So you have not so learned Christ. How have you learned Jesus Christ? Is your version of learning Jesus Christ that you walk around with a mindset that you're a misfit, that you're the dregs of society, that you'll never amount to anything in life? We see here, but you have not so learned Christ. So if you haven't learned it, and you're supposed to be a new creature that has a clean slate, that's now supposed to have not only a redeemed spirit, but a redeemed thought process, why are you so still walking around thinking unlike the things that the Word of God is saying about you? Instead... He is warning us here, you didn't learn that from Jesus Christ. So why are you walking it? Why are you thinking it? Why are you perceiving it that way? He says, if you've been taught by Him, and even as the truth is in Christ Jesus, then here's what you need to do put off the former conversation of the old man. The conversation is not just the stuff that comes out of your mouth, it's the way you think. Do you have stinking thinking? Put off the, other, the old conversation. See, a lot of times you're having a conversation, but it's in your mind. You may not be verbalizing it, but you're having a conversation with yourself. It's going to work. Oh, that ain't going to happen. Oh, it never works for me. That's the old conversation. God says put that off and put on the newness of thinking that Jesus Christ has for you. So, in other words, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That word renewed means to be renovated. It needs to be revitalized. It means that you need to quicken your thinking process the same way you've been quickened in your supernatural spirit that's going to be in eternal union with Jesus Christ. Amen? What spirit is associated with your mind? Is it depressed? Is it despondent? Is your outlook on life doomy and gloomy? Do you have a, a black cloud going over your head? What was that character? Schlepp Rock, I think it was on the Flintstones? Oh, it well, was Linus with the cloud and, and peanuts, but then I think there's a guy, Schlepp Rock. In the Flintstones, that always walked around with a, a cloud and lightning bolts. He had like a storm travel. Yeah, it was Slep Rock, right? Yeah, Slep Rock. <laughs> so he always, wherever he went, he had this cloud over his head. Amen. Lightning bolts, rain, the whole works. Amen. So some of us spiritually, unfortunately, we might have our own clouds hovering around over your head. So we need to examine that, look up above your head spiritually, and say, hey, is there a cloud here? Or if there is a cloud, is it a white cloud? Amen. Hmm? Yeah, glory cloud, amen, hallelujah. So be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, don't think the way you used to think before salvation. Allow the word of God to penetrate your heart your spirit, your mind, and let it start to govern your perceptions, the way you speak to yourself in your inward mind, the way you perceive situations. Start thinking about them according to the Word of God as opposed to how you usually think. And it says that your new man is created in righteousness and true holiness, so allow your mind, your thought process, to follow the same way that your spirit went. See, the problem in the church today is that you got a lot of people who've been saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years. they still think in Christianity one-on-one. And some of them aren't even that far along. They're still thinking like an unredeemed person. They come to church every week like clockwork, but they're still thinking like an unredeemed person. They think the same way. They speak the same way. They perceive the same way. Nothing has changed other than the fact that they've made a commitment to throw on a suit or a dress and to go sit in a pew one day a week. Amen? And special services. So we have to go through the process where we say, you know what, it's not good enough if I'm going to be in the army of God. I don't want to just sit here and go through the motions. I want to start thinking, perceiving, and speaking and operating the same way that he did. Praise the Lord. So you've been redeemed in your spirit, but has your mind followed that process? Are you renewed in the spirit of your mind? Now I talked about the attack of the enemy earlier on and how the enemy would sift us as wheat and there's really nothing we could do about it. But one of the things you saw in Genesis 3, when the enemy came to Eve, he basically just talked to her he tried to beguile her into partaking of the, the, the forbidden fruit. Because basically he, he posed he said, look, it's so beautiful, so glorious. You know, why is God holding that from you? He's holding that from you because he knows if you get it, then this is going to happen. You're going to be the same as him. So he, he didn't come in. Here's the thing. He didn't come in and say, Eve, I'm going to kill you and Adam. That's what I'm going to do today. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm going to stuff out your life. He didn't do any of that. He came in, and he engaged her in conversation and tried to influence her. Amen? And one of the things you'll see in Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From growing to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And I had a Bible years ago um, that above this passage of Scripture, it had a little subtitle. And I thought it was strange at the time. It said, The First Assault of Satan. I was like, first assault of Satan? I was like, what kind of assault was that? Because usually assault, you think, okay, a person has a pipe or a gun or fists, you know, some kind of weapon. They come in and they they beat you up. So I was like, why are they calling this an assault of Satan? Because it's not like Satan came in the presence of God and said, okay, God, put your dukes up. That's stupid. But the fact is he didn't do that. So when I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute. It was an attack, but it was an attack of subtlety, as we saw in Genesis, He's more subtle than any piece of the field. He was subtle, and he said, I'm going to make you, I'm not going to attack you physically, God. I'm going to attack how you perceive your servant, Job. So it was an attack of influence, amen, subtlety and influence. And we see in Genesis, he did the same thing. He didn't come and attack Eve and say, I'm going to kill you, put your hands up, Eve. He says, hmm, God's withholding from you. See, attack of subtlety and influence. And why was that? Because in both cases, before the fall of man and in the presence of God, they were surrounded by the glory of God. See, so anytime you're surrounded by the glory of God, the enemy cannot come in and say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to stuff out your life. I'm going to do this and that and all these different vile threats. All he could do is say, you know what? I'm scared of the glory because I see God in that. I'm scared of the glory because I see his power in that. So all I can do when I see the glory of God is say, is God really taking care of you? See, he'll attack you with subtlety and influence. But when you're not covered by the glory of God and with the illumination of the word to protect you, that's when he'll come in with fear and intimidation and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. He gets specific and he gets more direct in terms of how he's going to attack you. So that's a way in which we can basically measure where we're at. If he's coming in with fear and intimidation, that means we're not covered in that area. But if he's coming in with, with subtlety and influence, trying to divert how we think about God, that's when we can say, okay, I'm covered but I still need to block off the satanic influences that are coming my way. Amen? Now, in 1 Peter 5, 8, we see that it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Here's how we can keep ourselves protected. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, it says here, he's as a roaring lion. See, he's not a lion. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the claws. He doesn't have the teeth. He can't pounce on you and kill you. But he says he presents himself as a roaring lion. He tries to make you think he has that power. And we see here he goes even further as a roaring lion. says that he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He knows he may not be able to devour you, but he's seeking somebody that opens the door and the opportunity for him to get in to attack you. That phrase, walketh about, It means to tread all around. So he'll try to encircle you and go all around you. You ever see like those lions out in the jungle or, you know, the lionesses, because the lions are lazy. The lionesses, when they're going on the hunt, the lion, he's already sleeping, waiting for the meal. (laughs) Now, you attack the lioness, he's gonna step in. But when it's time for the meal, honey, go cook dinner. (laughs) Go kill dinner. (laughs) He's sleeping under the sun, she's hunting. So, anyway, the lionesses, though, a lot of times when they see the prey, They'll kind of circle around and try to mark out, okay, where can I sneak in where it's more likely that they're unaware and I have the best chance of killing my prey. So the enemy walketh about. He treads all around you. He looks for that opening where he can come in and pounce on you and snuff you out. And then another thing it means, too, though, it means to follow as a companion or devoted admirer. In other words, the enemy will be your fan. Ladies, you know you shouldn't dress a certain way. But then the enemy will come in and put his arm around you. Girl, you ain't been working out all this time so you could be all covered up like this. You better, you better drop a couple of those buttons and you better hike that skirt up a little bit. See, he's your fan. He's getting you to sin, but he's your fan. Girl, you're looking good. You better hike it up two inches there and two, and down two inches there. And with a man... Man, you ain't been pumping all that iron so you could be hiding that. You better put that muscle shirt on. Amen. You better get out there and let them see the pythons. Amen. So he'll come up and he'll be your fan. You're looking great. Why should you be covered up after you did all that working, working hard? So he'll be the fan. He'll be your greatest admirer sometimes. He won't always come up with fear or intimidation. Sometimes he'll be your greatest fan, cheering you on to what you're about to do. And then once you're done and he's had his fill with you, he'll say, stupid, now I'm going to go before God and accuse you. <laughs> after, after I was your fan leading you up to do it. Hallelujah. So once again, when the enemy discerns the glory of God on you, he can only attempt to attack you through negative influences. He knows full well that he can't come on with a full, powerful attack because the glory of God and the power of God residing on you will basically kick his butt and make him run, go running. So he'll just come in and try to get into that mental Warfare with you, take you astray. But thank God that Jesus Christ, once again, through that process of being redeemed, he has restored us, he has renewed us, and as we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, uh, you can write it down, Hebrews 2, 6 through 10. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It talks about how man was made a little lower than angels. In other words, we were basically put on the earth in this flesh suit. Amen? But it says we were crowned with glory and honor. And we know that through the sin, the fall of man, that we were stripped of the glory of God. But then we see in verse 9, it says we see Jesus, who was, same process, made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. See, he came on a mission. He didn't come here to be the most famous, the most popular, to be a king. Jesus came with a specific thing in mind, the same way that Adam was made a little lower than the angels, for now, as he's on the planet Earth, the same way, because I want to be that perfect sacrifice. I can't come in as Jesus at the right hand of God. I'm too high. I'm not at a state or position in which I can sacrifice myself and it'd be fair, because the enemy could come in and say, wait a minute, he came down to Earth yeah, he had a human body, but he was all power, all authority. He had all the privileges of his divinity. So how is it fair that he could go to the cross sinless? How could he be tempted with sin? He wasn't really human. So Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm not going to give the enemy any room to say that I wasn't put to the test fairly like every other man. And that's why I'm going to be born in a flesh suit through a woman. That's why I'm going to lower myself. That's why I'm going to have human characteristics so I could feel anger and fear And hurt when people reject me. He went through all the same emotions we went through. But yet, through all those things, he never sinned. And as we see here, he had the purpose that he's going to go to suffer death for you and I. Amen? And we know, of course, that he did it. It says that he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned, the same way with us, with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him... For whom all things and for whom or by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So Adam came down into earth, a little lone angel, sinned, and messed everything up for all the generations were to follow. But he was originally crowned with glory and honor, which was ripped off. Jesus came the same way, subjected himself to become a human being, crowned with glory and honor. But lived a sinless life. And thank God that now that he did this, it says that through this process, he's going to bring many sons unto glory. So you've been brought back to the glory that you fell short of through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So now you've got glory covered again. Amen? We have power and authority, dominion power, all the things that God in Genesis told us that we had the capabilities of, to walk in dominion power, to have will and reasonings, to walk in the likeness of God, to visit with God, to to communicate with God on a daily basis without fear of sin, all those things, as well as the glory covering, have been restored for uh, for us, amen? So we don't have to walk around, oh man, I'm a filthy rags. Oh man, I'm, the, I'm abominable and everything I do is abominable. Oh man, I do sin as easily as mankind drinks a cup of water and oh man, I'm, I'm short of the glory of God. No, Jesus Christ says here, he has brought many sons back unto glory. So the glory covering has been restored to you and I. We originally fell short of the glory of God due to sin, but God chose to send Jesus in the same likeness as mortal men to suffer death for all of us without sin. And thanks to him, The glory has to be restored, and all we got to do is accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. Romans 6.3 says, Know you not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Did you know you died? You people died. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by what? He was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And even so, we also shall walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, by accepting him and spiritual death baptism and death through that his sacrifice. Here we go. We shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we were spiritually killed, brought back to life, and as he was resurrected from the dead by the glory of the Father, now we are resurrected from spiritual death by the glory of the Father, and we are walking in the likeness of his resurrection. The only difference between him and us is that he's, he ascended and went to the right hand of the Father. We haven't ascended yet. But we are walking in his spiritual life, in his resurrection, in the return of the glory that God originally placed upon mankind. Amen? Thank God. Hallelujah. One final verse I want to share. Revelation 2.17, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Back in the Old Testament times, when somebody committed a crime, they basically would take you through a, through a process of trying your case, And so that you wouldn't know who specifically had judged you to be um, a criminal or subject to death, what they would do is, if they felt you were innocent, they would place a white stone. If they thought you were guilty, they would put a black stone. Prior to us accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, every man that ever came out of a woman, which is all of us, had a black stone. Amen? You had a life sentence. You had a death sentence walking around dead, heading to death, and eternal damnation. You had a black stone judging your life. But thank God it says that he who has an ear to hear and he that overcomes. How do we overcome? Well, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, as, and most of all, through accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Once you've done that, he now moves you from the category of being judged and condemned to moving over to the category of I removed the black stone, and here's a white stone indicating that you were found righteous and you are worthy of coming in to the eternal glory that I have before you. Amen? Hallelujah. So we are going through the process of glory to glory to glory. Amen? We may not be fully arrived. We may not think we're there yet, but we need to take the time to say, hey, let me look at myself once again internally. Look at the process and the transformation that God has done in me and what he's going to still do. You know, look at myself open eyes, unveiled eyes. In other words, don't Look at yourself through the veil of your past. Don't look at yourself through the veil of shame. Instead, look at yourself with open eyes inwardly and say, here's where I'm at, and here's where he's taking me. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's all rise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, we praise and thank you for this day, Lord. We praise and thank you for your word, Lord. We praise and thank you, Father. Um, you said when you're lifted up, you would draw all men on yourself, Lord. We continue to praise and thank you for those in this community, Lord, that you would draw Father, we praise and thank you as you would send us out, Father, as we approach Resurrection Sunday, Father, that you would be glorified through our lives, Lord, Father, as we lift you up, Lord, Father, and our the glory is revealed, Father, that you would draw, Lord, the unsaved, those that are backslidden, those that need a touch from you, Lord, Father, that you might be glorified during this time and season. So we just touch and agree right now, Lord, that not only this um, place of worship, but Father, your followers throughout the nations, Lord, Father, would just... Show forth your glory, Father, that more souls will come into your kingdom during this time and season, Lord. And we just praise and thank you for this, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.